Arm of Wales Under 20s, welcome to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. We'll hear what makes a good referee, what it was like playing for Barbarians against the World 15 last weekend. The first former Wales wing, Mark Jones, has taken over as head coach of Wales Under 20s with a pretty intensive preparation period ahead of their World Championship this summer in South Africa. He spoke to Graham Gillespie. So Mark, uh, did this opportunity take you by surprise? Yeah, it did take me by surprise. Obviously, uh, Byron's been in the post for quite a while, so been a pretty consistent uh, figurehead for the 20s. So it was a shock to hear that he was uh, stepping away, but obviously it created an opportunity which I was excited about. I've been looking to plan my future post Worcester. It was a difficult situation, and I have been in a difficult situation there. There's, there's not a lot of jobs around at the moment due to the climate, players and coaches. So, But I'm keen to keep coaching, to keep your instincts sharp, and you need to keep your habits consistent. And this gives me a perfect opportunity to keep uh, to keep coaching and uh, to coach at a good level. Been in the post now a week or so, are you happy with the talent at your disposal? Yeah, I've been really happy with the attitude of the players, really committed uh, and they're competing hard uh, around the areas that we're focusing on. It's difficult, I don't want to judge them too early, I've been in the post a week and a half, we're not going to have any opportunity to play any um, sort of competitive matches before we leave, so making a lot of judgments on their training habits and uh, and how they've played in the Six Nations, but there certainly seems to be some talent uh, in the squad and uh, looking to develop that over the, the summer. Obviously the Six Nations didn't go according to plan, is it just a case of parking that now and just focusing on that first game in the World Cup? In the large part, yes. You know, I used the analogy with the players that the, you know the car has a windscreen and a rearview mirror, and one's considerably bigger than the other because it's important to look at what's coming in front of you rather than what's behind. But I do feel there's also some good learnings from the Six Nations around our game, uh, what we were trying to do, and the opportunities that are in our game to be better than what we were, um, whilst trying to hold on to the things that uh, you know have been positive in the group. So a bit of a mixture, but I'm excited about exploring that with this group of players. Okay, there's uh, less than a month now before the first game. Uh, what are your key priorities before, between now and then? We're focused on uh, creating a clear identity, really, around how we want to play, and then individually what that looks like for you around your skill set, uh, around your conditioning, around your game management, and then obviously the effort levels and the way you know how much you prepared to commit to to getting yourself in the best possible position to be able to execute your role, and that's on and off the pitch. So there's a there's a development role here with the players long term around creating great behaviours, great habits, setting them up to be better professionals over the long term, but also we're going into a performance block. So understanding that there'll be a time where we have to deliver you know, what's required of us as coaches and as players. Now finally, uh, you've played in World Cups yourself. Are you able to pass on any knowledge from those World Cups onto these boys? I think the only real observation that I think would be relevant to this group is that when you're in the World Cup, it's, it happens very quickly. You get a lot of very short turnarounds and there's not a lot of time to fill in the gaps. You have to do the work before you arrive at the tournament. You're sort of forging the axe before you go onto the tournament and you're sharpening it when you're there. So I think the message we've sent to this group is we've got to work really hard before we leave the shores because there'll be so little time between games to prepare ourselves. We'll literally be recovering, getting ourselves patched up and the focus will be on us at the World Cup, not the opposition. And of course, we'll hear much more from Wales under-20s as they prepare to head for South Africa towards the end of the month. Someone whose season has ended is Scarlet's Wales and Lions prop, Wynne Jones. The former Tlandovery player was on home turf at the Royal Welsh Show where he spoke to Rob Cole. 
So when, what was it like playing at Twickenham last weekend, Barbar's World 15 game? I mean, great way to finish the season? Yeah, great way, you know, to, to meet the new people. Um, yeah, the game was certainly different to other games I've played at Twickenham, I'll be honest with you. But um, no, the whole experience of the week and, you know, playing against people like Al and Nara Wainwright and Anscombe. And, yeah, it was, a, it was a great occasion, very different to the usual, you know, where it was a more sociable event, I'd say. But um, no, yeah, it was a great honour to, to represent the World 15, especially with uh, some of the, the big names of the team. You obviously knew Brad Moore from your days at the Scarlet. So what was Hanson like? Yeah, I, I can only speak highly enough of, of Steve Hanson, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I was very impressed with uh, with how he run run everything, um, how he included everyone and, and made sure that everyone got on and, and got to know each other quite personal, you know. And um, yeah, that's what it's all about, getting to know new people. And uh, I could honestly say it's one of the most enjoyable weeks of my rugby career. Um, yeah. You probably switch off a little bit more from the rugby and, and concentrate a bit more on the socialising, getting to know other people from other cultures, other parts of the world. And I think that's what rugby is all about: is, is getting to know people. And you actually you soon learn that you know we're all very similar and come from similar backgrounds and um, yeah and that, yeah, it was a great week yeah so in about five or six seasons when you hang your boots up and it's 38-40 to your team do you step up and take the goal kick or don't you oh, I'd put it straight through the middle there <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah no, it's, uh, that was great wasn't yeah, it yeah it was great and it was nice to see both teams clapping him at the yes. end uh, just before he takes the penalty yeah. and um, yeah all, all the crowd are clapping him and uh, yeah, it was a real, real nice occasion and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's nice to say that I was there and probably a part of it. Yeah, yeah, and, and r- rugby does that sort of thing very well, doesn't it? The respect that comes through and, you know, the man yeah. needs as much honouring as he can get. Yeah, you, you can't give him uh, enough, I, I guess. You know, he's achieved everything within the game, uh, renowned worldwide for everything he does on and off the field. And, um, yeah, you know, Big Al, you, you can't speak highly enough of him, uh, the way he's he's led Wales over the years and for so long as well, and the Lions and everything. And, yeah, everything he's achieved, he's, he'd probably be one you look up to for the, for the foreseeable for yeah. forever, probably. Yeah. And uh, how will Wales cope without him and Justin now in that group? Uh, uh, I guess they've set high standards and it's now time for everyone else to aspire? Yeah, exactly. I think uh, the standards that... Alan and Tips have set over the years. Do you mean along with other other senior players? Is is still there now, and I'm sure they'll keep driving those. You know, I'm sure Gatsel um, he, he'll certainly drive those, and, and that's something that they'll they'll continue to do. Yeah. I'm sure you might have had a beer or two after the uh, the Twickenham match, but did you have a beer to celebrate Llandovery's uh, Premiership win? Yeah, I yeah, most definitely. It was a you know great win for Llandovery. I watched the semi here at home, and uh, you could just feel that you know they they were bound to win the the following week. Uh, no one going to Cardiff. They were a very good team as well, but uh, no, you could see the confidence in the boys, and uh, yeah, they, they turned up on the day and got the job done. Now you've benefited from playing and learning a little bit at that level. Where is your head at when you consider that next tier below the professional game? Yeah, it's brilliant to see you thriving, to be honest with you. Um, someone like myself played 90 odd times for Thundervy before going to the Scarlets, and even with the Scarlets, you know, going back to play for Thundervy and getting regular game time, I think that's that's very important for any young player. I certainly think that's what's helped me uh, in my career. I played a lot of rugby when I was, when I was younger against, you know, um, much more experienced opposition and, and, and good opposition as well and I, I think that's where the Welsh Premiership is very good to, to yeah. young talent and you know obviously you need to mix with, with the more experienced boys as well and yeah it was great to see uh, they play a great brand of rugby especially in Thunder and they want to throw the ball about and it's an entertaining game and I think that's what it's all about. It's amazing to think that Iros played in that first cup final win was coach for the second and now coach here and all the players who've come through Cigar. He's a special rugby man, isn't he? Oh yeah, most definitely. You know, he's been at Sunderby for a long time, and I think he 
he's got the balance right as well between some of the more experienced boys and the younger boys, and he's willing to give younger boys a, a run of games at, and progress in their career. You know, in um, I think Eros has helped a lot of a lot of boys in their careers. You know, at the start of their careers, then and happy to see them move on to bigger, greater things. You know, and uh, I think he, he's very proud of that, and uh, you can tell the way that he. Yeah, he, he puts his stamp on, on every player, but he's, he's happy to see them move on and move on to greater things, yeah. and that's, that's nice to see. But it's not head down, backside up, is it? It's entertaining rugby as well. I mean, you, you think, oh, well, you get stuck up with all the farmers, we know what it's going to be like, but it isn't. No, definitely, you know, uh, I played for years under Eros and, uh, and Lee Reese has come off, you never know what's coming no. next, I mean, and uh, that's his philosophy of the game, and it's great to see, and I think that's. Uh, I think that's probably where rugby is, is heading. To be honest with you, it needs to be more entertaining, and you can see by the way the, the teams want to play a bit more now. And uh, you know, like on the weekend, uh, Steve told us, "I don't really want any rucks. Just offload anything you want. You, you can't do anything wrong. Go for it, type of thing." And yeah, I think it's more, it's more entertaining and, and it's better for the crowds. Yeah. Now you've got a bigger break than you would probably have wanted this summer. How are you at the moment, and how are you viewing next season and the rest of your career? Yeah, for me, it's, it's you know it's, it's probably nice to have a bit of family time and time home now. Probably more so than than you probably want to be honest. But um, yeah, you know that's that's part of the game. It's it's nature of the sport. And uh, yeah, I look forward now to, to have a bit of a few weeks off with the family back home. And then uh, yeah, look forward to next season of the Scarlets now. Um, pre-season running, you know. Um, currently, I'm I'm injury free and I actually body feels pretty good uh, yeah. now. So um, yeah, I'm pretty excited for this listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Finally, what makes a good TMO? How are some of the Welsh referees progressing and what do the coaches want from the referees? All questions for BKT URC Head of Match Officials Tapper Henning. If you talk to coaches, the big word is consistency. Coaches understand errors and human error and didn't see or not in a position to see. Or so, so they understand that inconsistency is a big issue for them. And one of our key drivers is to consistency. And we have moved, we've come a long way over the last two tournaments or competitions. The first one was difficult with COVID and all the disruptions and changes. This year was much more fluent to achieve that. We've had regular meetings after round. We constantly have, have meetings for that and we've made good progress. The year one was difficult between North and South. There was perceptions about difference of interpretation and difference of application. I think this year, with the South African teams also playing into uh, EPCR, has exposed them to French and English referees, more specific. They understand the hemisphere differences aren't that big as they think it would be. I haven't really heard any noise from coaches about, oh, uh, the Northern Hemisphere is a different interpretation than South. We've breached that now. And the teams being more exposed and the South African teams in, in particular to EPCR and French and English referees and top, top international referees from those competitions as well has helped a lot. And then the collaboration of the coaches to give feedback about referee performances is hugely important for us to understand their expectation and have discussions with them to align it with the expectations of URC, World Rugby and EPCR competitions to make sure that there's a good understanding of expectations. And as far as consistency goes, we've probably improved by a big margin. Part of that improvement is also experience. The experienced referees are well received within the competition and we're trying to, to maintain our group, to give them experience and as much exposure so that we can get to a group of elite referees that boast a lot of experience and, and have a lot of experience because that helps with consistency as well. So we are getting there. 
we're moving in the right direction, we probably improved by about 15 to 20% on our consistency and understanding of the expectations of coaches and different hemispheres as well. I wonder how often would you consult with other referee managers, people like Tony Spreadbury, Paul Hull in the Premiership in England, etc., someone in, in Super Rugby, Joel at World Rugby. Is, is there a kind of referee manager um, consultation between you guys to, to try and find out what's happening in different competitions at different times? Yeah, you. I'm actually pleased you asked that question. We've now moved into a era where we have monthly meetings between all the professional competitions around the world. And referee managers of those competitions, which includes EPCR, URC, Top 14 in France, the Premiership in England, and even Super Rugby Pacific, Super Rugby Australia. And we meet on a monthly basis. And, and that initiative is part of World Rugby through Phil Davies, who's created that platform where we consult with one another about our competitions, about trends in the game, about what's happening in our environments, about what's happening in our teams, in our decision-making, and also to bring it closer together on interpretation, application of law, understanding of expectations. So we've made huge strides with that. And I must say this, that Martin and I played a huge role to give URC a foot in the door with World Rugby and World Rugby accepting and saying, look, we need to creators and and I'm really pleased that we've had some very useful meetings and we're meeting on a monthly basis. With EPCR which is closer by, there's more often contact with Tony Spreadbury. We attend the meetings that we set up with our match officials. I attend uh, the EPCR workshop sessions with TMOs and with referees make sure that what we do in our workshop sessions and things is aligned to EPCR. So more often with Tony Spreadbury but worldwide, yes we are collaborating with one another to find solutions for difficulties that we have, and the difficulties isn't that much different, I must say, to share our knowledge, share our solutions, and share ideas about how to address. So, yeah, it is a collaboration worldwide. And when we hear um, coaches quite often still saying, oh, we're going to analyse the referee before a particular match, is there a real tendency for one referee to prefer to referee? They still do have idiosyncrasies. Coaches are very aware of that. They want to understand how the referee will deal with certain areas of the game. And yeah, we try to, in our delivery, in our workshops, to get it aligned and everybody, so if that's the, the pictures, then the expectation is that the focus should be on this and this, what's wrong in the picture. But there are still differences. We individuals that look at the same picture and see different things in those pictures. We try to limit that as much as we can. So we talk about get what matters, get what's important, get the critical feel rather than find what's wrong. So we try to, to get the referees to focus on the right things, but coaches acknowledge and know referees will look at the same thing and see some things differently. And it's more important. If you ask a coach on attack, what's important in this tackle picture from, from an attacking point of view, oh, the tackler must get out of the way and oh, we want a free runway to clear the ball. If you, if you look at the same picture, you ask the team that's defending, the coach look at something totally different, but we're looking at the same picture. And what's important in that, that picture differs for them. But yes, they do study the referees and they do ask questions about the referees to get clarity on, on small things that they may think might be different, but can make a difference on the day of the decision-making. They raise awareness of it. And coaches accept that there will be a difference in what the referee look at, but their expectation is it shouldn't be big differences. And studying the referee, they just want to make sure about those areas that they do perceive a difference from their perspective and to get clarity on it. And what we do now is this interaction before games 
where we give coaches an opportunity to ask the referee, we've seen you in this and this. Yes, a couple of clips we would like you just to give us clarity on how do you see that so they have confidence in to play and understand what they perceive as a difference, what they've picked up as a team in the referee's interpretation and application. Is the ideal profile of a TMO an ex-referee, an experienced former referee? The knowledge of the game, the knowledge of decision-making and refereeing plays a huge part of, of that. And it's always a, a big plus. I'll probably compare it to what we see nowadays. We see more and more professional players that, that becomes referees. Uh, we've seen uh, the likes of Glenn Jackson, Nick Berry, and some others that's moving into refereeing. And that game knowledge as a background, as a player at the high performance instincts, uh, serves them very well. Carl Dixon is a name that comes to mind as well. Andy Brace has played international rugby for Belgium and stuff. And that game knowledge is very useful within the refereeing environment. The same applies to the TMO environment. A background of refereeing, understanding of the laws, studying the laws in the environment of decision-making and processes of refereeing the game is hugely important as a base layer for a TMO. Does it have to be an ex-international referee? No, it doesn't have to be an ex-international referee. What skill sets do we require? I think Johan Crick will probably be a good TMO as an analyst because he's in, involved in the high-performance environment. I don't think Johan has refereed a game in his life, but I tell you what, when he gives me feedback and a lot of analysts, the Bulls analysts and, and the analysts from Munster and, and all of them, when they give me feedback, these guys are right spot on. They know the game. They understand the game. They understand what they're looking at on a monitor. They ask questions about it. They draw arrows and lines. These analysts are actually good. And those are the skill sets that's also required for TMO. Is it a must-have to have an ex-international referee? No, it's not. What skill sets is required? Probably the same skill sets that analysts are using to look at games to give their coaches and players feedback about the accuracy of their execution. They're pretty spot on with the accuracy of the referee's execution. So it doesn't have to be an ex-referee, but that knowledge and background will surely help a lot. So, um, yeah, those are part of the skill sets. Um, we try to teach that to, to referees that retire and make themselves available of TMOs. We, we have a lot of work sessions. We've had every last Tuesday of the week, we've got TMO workshops uh, for, for URC ref, match officials and TMOs to review uh, certain difficult TMO decisions and to align ourselves to what the, what the focus should be. How do we deal with it? How do we challenge the facts? How do we get to the right outcome? We would explore uh, both ends and the development of that. It helps a lot if they can do that dual role. I can take an example and, and Ben Whitehouse, who is now focusing uh, probably uh, more focused uh, to develop into, into a TMO for the longer term of his career and an end, uh, but he's still very valuable and, and referees quite well in URC. So he continues with that. So he's doing that dual role, gets a lot of appointments, uh, been to the, to the World Cup in New Zealand. Last year, he's been uh, involved as a TMO in Six Nations. He's been involved in, in a TMO in, in the TikTok uh, uh, Six Nations. So uh, that's one example which probably shows that uh, we are keen to explore a dual role and then to find what is best fit for that individual. And if the individual is not progressing into, into top international referee, we don't waste the opportunity to not consider for another role, either as an AR full-time or as a, as a TMO. Um, so Ben Whitehouse is a good example of that that's doing both very well at the moment. Are you seeing the, the next batch of your URC referees coming through nicely? Are there, are there, is there enough coming through from the countries to, to feed your 2026 panel? 
Yeah, quite pleased that we are sitting well with our development group of referees. We had the opportunity to introduce three new referees into our environment with appointments, Federico Verdevelli and Mornay Ferreira and, and Owen Cross from Ireland. Uh, these guys have actually done well. We're pretty pleased where they are. The selectors will have a meeting to, to make a decision whether they go on to the elite panel. We are looking at Adam Jones from Wales. So there's a lot of names that we sit and my challenge is to get these guys a lot of exposure and experience. Um, we can only make an informed decision if we've given these guys a fair opportunity. What is a fair opportunity? I would like these guys to get to 2025 games before we make a decision whether they're going to continue uh, on that panel because we have to, to give them a fair go over two or three seasons and see how they develop uh, and not based on one or two decisions or games that it didn't go so well to take them off. Some people develop it a bit slower and later than others. But we are very excited with the group of refugees that we had and looking forward to carry them through over the four next year, uh, four year cycle into the next World Cup after this one um, and get their experience levels to a very high level and, and to make informed decisions about what their career is going to look like on the longer term. Interesting to hear. That's it for this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Much more next week and throughout the summer. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye.